Welcome back to Ending Explained, a film review podcast that takes a deep dive into those tricky and intriguing open endings. I'm your host, Kenna Park, and today is a solo episode where I will be talking about the 2022 black comedy thriller, The Menu, and that is currently streaming on HBO Max. If you haven't seen it yet, be prepared. This this episode, as the title hints at, is going to explain the ending which means there will be lots and lots of spoilers right off the bat. So go watch it if you haven't. It's an excellent movie, in my opinion. So the movie background, it is an original story written by Seth Reese and Will Tracy. It's directed by Mark Mylod. It stars Ralph Fiennes, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, and Hong Chow. And then for Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an 88% for the critic score and a 76% for the audience score. And the audience, or not the audience, the critics' consensus is really just as punny as ever for Rotten Tomatoes. It's, it goes, while its social commentary relies on basic ingredients, the menu serves up black comedy with plenty of flavor. And my background with this movie is just that I took a solo trip to the movie theaters at the end of 2022 and just really enjoyed myself. Uh, I think it was a Sunday matinee that I went and saw it. It's a really fun movie to see in theaters. All right, let's jump into the plot summary. Foodie Tyler and his date Margot travel by boat to Hawthorne, an exclusive restaurant owned and operated by celebrity chef Julian Slowick, located on a private island. The other guests attending the dinner are Lillian, a food critic, her editor Ted, wealthy regulars Richard and Anne, washed-up movie star George Diaz and his personal assistant Felicity, business partners Soren, Dave, and Bryce, and Slowick's alcoholic mother Linda. The group is given a tour of the island by the restaurant Maitre d' Hotel, Elsa, who notes that Margot was not Tyler's designated guest for the evening. Dinner begins, and Chef Slowick introduces a series of courses, delivering increasingly unsettling monologues about each dish. For the third course, uncomfortable truths about each guest ranging from affairs to embezzlement are exposed via laser-printed images on tortillas. During the fourth course, sous chef Jeremy kills himself, causing a panic amongst the guests, except for Tyler. When Richard tries to leave the staff, when Richard tries to leave, the staff cut off his ring finger. Hawthorne's angel investor, Doug Verick, to whom Slowick had to relinquish ownership of the restaurant to stay afloat during the COVID-19 pandemic, is then drowned. For the fifth course, which begins with Slowick allowing himself to be stabbed by Catherine, a female employee whom he sexually harassed, the female guests dine with Catherine while the male guests are given the chance to escape the island via a game of cat and mouse, but Slowick's staff catch all of them. Catherine reveals that she was the one to suggest that Slowick kill all of the guests and everyone on the island. Slowick explains that each guest was invited because they either contributed to him losing his passion for his craft or because they make a living off exploiting the work of artisans and workers like him and his team. He announces that everyone present will be dead by the end of the night. Since Margot's presence was unplanned, Slowick privately gives her the choice of dying either with the staff or the guests, and she chooses the former. 
Margot is unmasked as an escort who has previously served Richard and whose real name is Aaron. Slowick reveals that Tyler was invited to the dinner months in advance and informed that the guests would be killed. Despite this, Tyler was so zealous in his desire to participate in Slowick's craft that he kept the secret and hired Margot to replace his ex-girlfriend for the evening because Hawthorne did not offer seating for parties of one. Slowick humiliates Tyler by forcing him to cook in front of everyone and insulting his food, then orders Tyler to hang himself. Slowick asks Margot to go to the smokehouse and collect a barrel needed for dessert. As she leaves the kitchen, she sees Tyler's body. En route, Margot sneaks into Slowick's house, only to be attacked by a jealous Elsa, fearful that she would be replaced by Margot. After a scuffle, Margot accidentally kills Elsa. After seeing a framed Employee of the Month award showing Slowick as a young and happy cook at a greasy spoon diner, Margot finds a radio, calls for help, and returns to the restaurant with the barrel. A Coast Guard officer arrives from his boat, but after the guests are convinced that they have been saved, he reveals himself to be a line cook in disguise and returns to the kitchen. As dessert is being prepared, Margot mocks Slowick's dishes and loveless cooking and complains that she is still hungry. When Slowick asks what she would like to eat, Margot requests a cheeseburger and fries. Moved by her humble request, Slowick personally does so, finding joy in creating the dish, and after one bite, she requests to take it to go. Slowick and the staff allow her to leave, with the traumatized guests silently encouraging her to leave. Margot takes the Coast Guard boat docked nearby and escapes the island. The dessert is an elevated s'mores dish. The staff cover the floor with crushed graham crackers and adorn the guests with stoles made of marshmallows and hats made of chocolate. Slowick then sets the restaurant ablaze, detonating the barrel and killing the guests, staff, and himself. Safely away from the island, Margot eats her cheeseburger in silence while watching the restaurant burn, using a copy of the menu to wipe her mouth. Alright, so this climax feels a bit ambiguous, and that's the type of movie I absolutely love. It fits perfectly for this podcast. So I think first off, to understand the ending of this movie, is to understand the overall tone that the movie was intentionally going for. The tone of this movie, it's a dark satire, it's a dark comedy. And if you take it too seriously, I think that a lot of things don't work as well. But if you take it not as seriously, look at it as an intentional dark comedy, uh, it allows for some of the ridiculousness, if that makes sense. And I think the main question that I had and a lot of people had coming out from this movie is why is Margot allowed to live? And I know that technically her name is Erin, but I'm just going to stick with calling her Margot because that's what she's just called throughout the whole movie. And I like the name Margot. <laughs> anyway, so why is Margot allowed to leave? Why is she allowed to live when every other person on this island in this restaurant are burned to death? Not just the elite class that are despised, but also uh, Slowick himself and all of his workers. Why is she the only one to get away? 
uh, there's this contradiction where many of the wealthy guests seem to actually really appreciate the fine dining food while Margot turns her nose up at it. So it can't be that just she reveres more she reveres the art of fine dining more than any of the rest of them because that's just not true. Tyler himself was almost worshipful of Chef Slowick. So it doesn't turn on the fact that Margot shows some sort of real appreciation for the fine dining art because uh, she's actually turning her nose up at it and resisting it and criticizing it. But I think what it comes down to is that Slowick relates to her because they both have humble backgrounds and they're both taking advantage of a service industry to get ahead to pull themselves out of those humble backgrounds with Slowick coming from humble backgrounds of flipping burgers while uh, Margot mentions that she comes from a trailer park growing up and is now obviously doing fine for herself working as an escort for the elite. So I'm guessing she makes good money. And her outfit is splendid. So let's hope that she's making good money. <laughs> and then the request for the cheeseburger, it catches Slowick off guard in this sort of refreshing sort of way. He's used to year after year of monotonous, of monotony of doing these dinners and she reminds him of his roots. She hones in on the fact that Slowick feels like the elite have ruined his love of the art of cooking. And then she saw that picture in Slowick's living quarters of him flipping burgers, and he had this huge grin on his face. And so Slowick, he seems to have some insanity going on. And this request for just a simple good old cheeseburger kind of sparks, sparks him back into maybe a less insane mindset. He's been spiraling for so long, but then Margot sees this and is able to tap into a bit of sanity that's left, knowing that burgers were where he got his start, where his love for cooking began, and that the humble about the humble beginnings long before his repressed hatred for the elite just made him spiral. But it can't just be because Margot is part of the working class, because Slowik's overall insane plan also involves his kitchen staff dying alongside the elite guests. So again, I think it just has to boil back down to her being able to tap into some part of his mind that isn't in such an insane state by making that request for the burger. All right, so some themes and metaphors unsurprisingly the straightforward obvious theme here is eat the rich punishing the rich for their excessive wealth and self-indulgence and arrogance and pretentiousness what have you uh just really highlighting how the elite class the wealthy class are able to get away with things consequence free due to their privilege and their wealth and then Sloak, on the other hand he has just really grown this repressed hatred towards this class of people that fully fireworks out for this last dinner. And I think the breadless bread plate scene was just so on the nose and so great at showing this theme about criticizing the rich and how they just get away with anything. Uh, so he serves the breadless plate. He gives this whole monologue about how great bread is and where it comes from. It comes from the working class. And he says, you are not the common man. And so you get no bread. And Margot picks up instantly that this is an insult, but everyone else kind of laughs it off. 
the frat boy table i mean that's what i'm gonna call them because they have real frat boy energy but i guess they're just defined as the business partner business partners they ask um for bread and then they're told no and i love it. it's just so satisfying when when she's like no <laughs> just so calmly it's like they've never been told no in their lives and they probably haven't for any meaningful thing let alone just a basket of bread and especially not from people they deem to be lower class status than them i just love the line that she whispers in his ear at this point where she says You'll eat less than you desire and more than you deserve. <laughs> so another theme or metaphor is a critique of consumer culture. So this ties into the whole critique of uh, the rich class, basically pointing out that elitist consumerism specifically tends to destroy different areas of art in this case of course being the art of fine dining and cooking and this has just showed where Slok's passion is diminished because at least in his mind the wealthy consumers he serves they don't truly taste the food or appreciate it they just eat it like he explains <laughs> and as i think it's his first monologue he asks everyone after he does the whole commanding the room clap thing to he begs them don't eat it but truly taste the food and appreciate it and he just he really notices how these these elite class people instead of really appreciating the food they wear the experience as just this self-congratulatory badge of status along with all the other experiences that they alone can afford and it really also points out the fact that Fine dining experiences are inaccessible to most of us who can't afford it. So that makes me want to push back on Chef Slowick's idea of his criticism uh, of his blaming the elite class on ruining his art. If, if Chef Slowick wanted to, he could not charge $1,250 per head. I mean, he's the one making the fine dining experience really inaccessible. So I think that the movie doesn't exactly paint a black and white picture here as much as maybe it comes off. And I think it's it's interesting to think about the different types of arts in the world out there and which ones are more accessible than others. In my episode that I put out just recently about the movie Babylon, Babylon really plays with the message that movies are important uh for many reasons, but one of the reasons that they're an important form of art is because they're so accessible. And that just reminded me when I was watching this movie about how inaccessible the art of fine dining, of cooking really is. And then along with that theme is the theme of the service industry. And like I said before, this movie, while it may seem very black and white, if you think about it, it doesn't paint a simplistic message of service people are the good guys and the elite class are the bad guys because margot is just this wild card that is thrown in margot comes with the elite class seems to be one of them but in reality she's just kind of hovering in the middle of being part of the elite class part of the working class and not only that even though she's on the side of the service people herself she pushes the narrative at the beginning with Tyler before she realizes what's going on of 
you're the customer, you're paying him to serve you. It doesn't matter if he likes you. I'm not going to let these people boss me around because we're paying them sort of thing. And I also think that that quote was such funny foreshadowing to the fact that she is an escort and what she was saying kind of doubles as letting on that she doesn't really care for Tyler at all. It doesn't matter if she likes Tyler because he's her customer and she's paying him to serve him. I mean, he's paying her to serve him. And then another theme that I think is more separate from the eat the rich critique of consumer culture and service industry, there's another theme separate from that about life and death and that cycle of nature. So Tyler actually says at the beginning, when he's explaining the hype around Chef Slowick and just the hype around fine dining in general, that chefs are on a whole higher playing field in comparison to athletes and musicians. And the reason he gives for this is because chefs play with life and death itself, which is a huge foreshadowing to the fact that, yeah, uh, Chef Slowick and the rest of the kitchen staff are really going to be playing with life and death itself during this menu. <laughs> and then Slowick himself says at the beginning of the meal that what happens in this room is meaningless compared to what happens outside in nature. And then they're also told when they're questioning, why do we all have to die? They're told it doesn't work unless you all die. It has to tie everything up conceptually. So this, I think, links back to the spiraling insanity state of mind that Chef Slowick has come to, that the idea of life and death and nature and how that works in cooking has kind of infiltrated his ideas of what is okay to like how to handle life and death with not just the food he's cooking but the consumers he's cooking for if that makes sense um some questions that i still have after even after watching the movie twice and kind of analyzing it searching online for other people's ideas i'm confused why chef slowick's mom was there there's just kind of one comment that he says about he's lamenting about how he can never please people that he's always reaching for perfection and that's impossible he says i've been fooled into trying to please people who can never be pleased starting with her and he points to her to his mom but he doesn't really give more than that and the only other background that we get about his parents and childhood is the story about taco night isn't it so great to hear the man who played Lord Voldemort say taco night? <laughs> but we get that background where it's revealed that his dad was abusive to both him and his mom. But then we don't really get anything else about why his mom deserves to be there, at least in his mind. So that was a bit confusing to me. And just the fact that she was so defeated and like blackout drunk the whole time. Maybe there's something that I missed or not putting pieces together but yeah I'm just still confused about that and then another question that I see people asking is why did the rest of the staff go along with all of it and that's definitely less clear than I think Chef Slowick himself wanting to go along with all of this and and putting this plan into action but I assume that with this kitchen staff it's a similar pressure that they're experiencing impossible expectations of perfection in this competitive culinary world 
that kind of drove them to a similar mindset as Chef Slowick. And also on my second rewatch, it really hit me just how their whole setup feels very cult-like. They're secluded on this island, they have this intense daily work regimen and very defined roles, they've got a huge lack of sleep. I can't remember the exact hours that she said when she was initially giving the tour to all the visitors, um, the tour of the island, but she takes them into their living quarters and explains that every morning they get up insanely early and every night they go to bed pretty late. I don't remember the exact hours, but it sounded like they got like five hours of sleep tops every single night. So there's the lack of sleep. There's answering to a leader that it seems to be on the verge of worship, even, of this group of chefs answering to head chef Slowick. And so all of that kind of, I think, made more sense in my mind on rewatch when I realized all those cult-like factors, how that group of people could be on board for this suicide mission, basically. Um, all right, and then the burger, and this ties into another question of why, why did none of them try very hard except for Margot to get out alive? Because if I were one of the dinner guests and I saw that Margot successfully escaped by asking for a burger to go, I would be jumping out of my seat and asking Slowick shouting at him hey please make me a cheeseburger too you know can i get food to go but none of them even tried none of them even tried that hard throughout the whole movie i think that maybe that's just the fact that they seem to accept what Sloic was criticizing about themselves deep down and just accepted their fate they're told pretty early on that everyone is going to die and aside from the one frat guy who really runs during the cat and mouse scene and almost makes it out onto the boat, but then gets dragged back. It really seems like a lot of these people aren't putting in much effort at all to save themselves. Anyways, uh, I have heard the theory that some people have speculated that the burger is made from human meat, likely Tyler or even the poor chef that shoots himself in the head at the beginning. I don't buy it, but... It's a fun theory, I guess. And then <laughs> another question I've seen people asking is why s'mores? Why why did it end with s'mores and turning <laughs> turning all of the diners into s'mores? So I think what it comes down to is that Chef Slowick, he he verbalizes that he despises s'mores. He thinks that they are an insult <laughs> to food in general. But he also says that they are perfected by fire. And that is a parallel where he also despises these people, these diners, and he's going to quote unquote perfect them by fire. And also, it really just makes for a great, great, great comedic visual. <laughs> I mean, when they put on those massive marshmallows and the chocolate caps, oh my gosh, it's just really, it perfects that dark comedy tone that the, that the movie's going for. Some Easter eggs are things you might have missed. So I was a bit confused the first watch around when Chef Slowick is standing with everyone outside and tells the story 
or he doesn't tell the story, the one of the female chefs tells the story about how Hawthorne made those unwanted sexual advances toward her. And then Chef Slowick stands there, apologizes and allows her to stab him. At first, when I first saw it, I thought that she was stabbing him in the groin. And that would be, you know, appropriate given the fact that he's apologizing, he's atoning for making sexual advances on her. And this time around, I realized she stabs him in the thigh. And that relates directly back to the earlier monologue that he gave about Taco Tuesday or Taco Night, where he ended up stabbing his father in the thigh with scissors. So I'm wondering if there's some sort of parallel there that maybe he was also punishing his father acting out stabbing his father for some sort of sexual transgression as well. And then the design of Haw of the Hawthorne restaurant is actually purposefully designed to look temple-like or church-like. Um, the production designer for this film, his name is Ethan Tobman, and he explained his approach, he calls it emotional architecture, in an interview with Tasting Table. So he says in that interview that he crafted Chef Slowick's restaurant that way on purpose as the ultimate reflection of the chef's headspace, which often converts into a hellscape. I take what's in someone's head and I create a world to parallel it, he said. If I want to feel that the kitchen is a place of worship, I'm going to design it like a church. I want there to be a cross on the back wall. I want him to feel like he's sermonizing from the pulpit. I'll build his floor a little higher and all the chefs a little lower, so they look like they're genuflecting to him because they're in a cult. So I thought that was a fun little Easter egg, and I didn't personally notice that consciously during my watch and rewatch. It's like, oh yeah, this restaurant does kind of feel like a temple architectural design or anything like that, but then when I read this and it's pointed out to me, I can totally see it. All right. Oh, I just want to point out <laughs> what was peak comedy for me in this film. Obviously, I find it very hilarious, but my favorite line in the whole um in the whole movie is when the washed out actor is asking like, "Okay, I get why you think I should die, but why does my assistant need to die?" And Slowick just looks at her and asks, where'd you go to college? And she says, Brown, any student debt? No, I'm sorry, you're dying. I just thought that was such peak comedy. I probably didn't deliver it super well, but if you watched it, you know what part I'm talking about. I just burst out laughing so hard in the movie theater when I first saw it and no one else did. And I just looked around like, did none of you guys get that amazing, brilliant joke? Or did it just hit me a lot harder because even though I come from a relative place of privilege, I still have a ton of student debt, finishing up law school here, and it is a heavy weight. And so just the fact that, yeah, you deserve to die because you don't have student debt just rocked me. <laughs> and then also, this wasn't as an intentional comedic line, but when Margot says, my eyes are bigger than my stomach, when she's asking for the burger to go. This is coming from an actor who is just known for her insanely huge Disney princess deer eyes and also a very petite figure. So I just thought I 
smirked myself when her character says that line. All right, and then time for one of my favorite parts of these episodes is going over some of my favorite Letterboxd reviews for this movie. All right, uh, Sophie says, never thought I would leave a film being surprised that cannibalism wasn't involved. <laughs> uh, Brian says, Ralph Fine served and Anya Taylor-Joy ate. Jay says, even service workers get their own midsummer, midsummer, <laughs> however you pronounce it, which is so hilarious. And that reminds me, I really need to do an episode both on midsummer and uh, hereditary. Those are both such great movies. Um, and then George says, can't even begin to tell you how furious I would be if I wasn't served bread at a restaurant. <laughs> Holly says by far the weirdest episode of Hell's Kitchen Tyler says eat the rich the movie uh, Lisa says chef Julian Slowick in his reputation era that's a Taylor Swift reference if you didn't get that and then Grace says this would never happen at an olive garden <laughs> Haunted Hippie says rich people are truly in their flop era Uh, and then Elvis the Alien, that's a fun username, says, I'm sorry, but there's literally nothing better than watching entitled rich people suffer in movies. Now I want a s'more. <laughs> so that's a wrap for the menu. As you can probably tell, I highly enjoyed it. It's great on the rewatch, too. You notice things that you didn't notice before. And then for the upcoming episodes, I'm planning on doing sort of an Oscar run for the next several episodes, going to be covering movies that have been nominated for Best Picture. Definitely won't be able to have time to get around to all of them. And some of them have more intriguing open endings than others, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, Avatar, I promise I will not be doing. Top Gun, fun, but not deep. <laughs> But I will be doing some of them, especially Everything Everywhere All at Once. Ever since I started this podcast and that movie came out, that has been my number one request from people who know that I do this podcast and listeners saying, why haven't you done an episode on Everything Everywhere? And here's my answer. It's because that movie is so brilliant and so layered that trying, attempting to do an episode on it is so intimidating and also, I feel like I would need to watch it like five times to even begin to be able to do it justice. But I'm going to try, guys. I don't have time to watch it. I've seen it twice. I don't have time to watch it three more times between now and when the Oscars come out. But, you know, I'm very, very happy that it had the most nominations. I think that, that is such a great underdog story. But anyways, I will leave... Uh, more ranting about how much I love that movie for that movie's actual episode. But thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review Ending Explain on whatever platform you're listening on. I love being able to create this content, and this is a quick and easy way to show a little love in return. Till next episode.